0: Every day, thousands of hackers try to steal your crypto. But Arculus uses air-gapped technology by forming a protective barrier that insulates you from hackers and secures your crypto. Order yours at GetArculus.com.
1: You know I'm right. Nick Durst here with Joe Calabrese and... Joe, it's, it's a big show. We have one of the faces of Major League Baseball Network, someone who we have both uh, interacted with when we were in the building as well, being uh, employees or former employees, and I'm really excited for this one, Joe.
2: Absolutely. We continue our MLB Network trend here for the past couple of shows. Uh, he's one of MLB Network's longest tenured employees. Uh, he's a guy who knows a thing or two about coming from big families, uh, cooperating and working within the confines of big families, uh, he's a friend of ours, uh, somebody I've gotten to, to meet over the course of the past couple of, of months. Uh, he did a really, really great job this season. Everything under the circumstances, I think the, the rest of the crew did really good. Uh, but we're really, really excited to have him. Mr. Greg Adam Singer. Greg, welcome to you. Hey, right? Joe, you Nick,
0: good to see your faces again. I'm uh, coming to you from my lair. I, I know, you know COVID made a lot of people appreciate what they had, including their houses, so, you know, I love to go have a drink with my coworkers after a show. There was nowhere to go. I mean, COVID sucks. So I put a sports bar in my basement, like a legit tavern. So that's where I'm at right now. I've got golf over here, got some political television over here. Um, but this is this is my happy place. So I'm coming to you from my happy
2: place today.
1: Definitely looks like yeah, something right, that, right out that of man a
2: cave kind of feeling down there. I like the brick wall.
1: Right out of a superhero movie, like the Justice League layer right there. It's good, good stuff. So, <laughs> so obviously, I just want to let our listeners know, if you have any complaints on this episode, you could tweet Greg at Act 19 Let them know the, the issues with you have with this episode. Greg, how did that How did that come to be? How did that come to be a running gag on LB tonight?
0: You know, Nick, for years, I was um, harassed to get on social media. I've been like in in the worst way. I, I, on television, I am very social. in person, I'm a very social person, but I also like my privacy. I, I, I like to not be messed with. Um, so I've never, ever wanted to be on social media. I never cared to know what was going on with kids I went to high school with or in grade school. I just never cared. And um, it, because I was pressured by so many people, I was like, you know what? My good buddy Dan Plesak will do anything for an, a follow. He, he is so obsessed with Twitter and social media that I decided anytime there was a polarizing moment on our show, let me just throw some love towards Dan Plesak. <laughs> but I only do it, most of the time, I only do it when he's not on the show. Because I know when he's on date night, and his phone starts blowing up with like, "No, Yasiel Puig should not go to the Giants." Like, I want him. I want him going. What the hell's going on on my phone right now? Like, I like, I like, like flipping the script and throwing social media chaos at people when they don't want to be social because that's the whole reason I'm not on it.
1: Who's the better DJ, DJ Paulie D or DJ Danny P?
0: <laughs> Dude, that guy. <laughs> I love Dan Plesac. He's like a brother, and I have five brothers. Okay. He's like a brother to me. He is straight up bipolar, and I say it in the most beautiful, loving way. He, <laughs> at, at, when you shows up in the building, when you play golf with him, he is intense. He's serious. He, he, you know, I'm sure when he pitched, he was the exact same way. He wants to be perfect, but once that red light goes on, I don't know what happens to the dude. He becomes chaotic in the most. Magical, super live TV, talented way. He is a star on live, live television. Straight up comedy. Like he's integrated baseball and SNL skits uh, somehow as a former player. So I don't know really how it came about. We had our director Mark Deaver put up a photo of him, <laughs> like a DJ turntable, and then we decided to like make a whole. Reoccurring segment of DJ Dan, and then he's got all these really awkward one-liners. Hey, girl, I, I like you. A latte. It's all weird stuff he does. But you know, <laughs> the day when you're on TV for three hours with DJ Dan sitting next to me.
1: Dan is just a credible guy. And you know, how, how was it? How was it last week? Where usually you're in at the winter meetings with Dan, and this time you guys are in the studio.
0: Yeah, it stunk. Uh, the virtual winter meetings to me was, you know, what we had to do for everyone to be safe. I was worried there wasn't going to be any moves, but there were plenty of news stories to cover all week long. Uh, one of my favorite things to do when I'm at the winter meetings uh, is to kind of mingle. I, like, I, I am social in person, just not in social media. And I love correspondents, reporters, beat writers, those people that have their finger on the pulse for all 30 teams. So what I wanted to do is kind of recreate that this last week. And we did sort of like a, a correspondence insiders roundtable. So every single day I had a different correspondent who always covers the beat of one of the 30 teams. And I had four of them at one time. And I just pepper them with questions about their team. And, you know, at the end of the day, I did something at the end of the segment. I'd be like, OK, guys, you have to give me one big name that if I told you, you know, look at my crystal ball, Francisco Giants are going to add a signature name. If there's going to be one who that name would be. So I, I put everyone on the spot. It, it, it started some like fun, polarizing conversation with fans watching. And at the end of the day, that's what the winner means about. It's supposed to stoke excitement uh, for the upcoming season because everybody's at the moment tied for first place. So uh, it wasn't the
1: same. Because yeah, I think it's, uh, it's always fun. I remember you, when you guys were in Vegas, you were doing that blackjack type of thing, which was a, a great segment. And uh, I was expecting you guys to get around the blackjack table. So oh, always, some, always some fun stuff there. But, you know, talking to Crystal Balls, let's, let's go back to your start here. 2001, you graduate wow. Linwood University in St. Charles, Missouri. Obviously, you're a big William McGee and Cardinals fan, and you work numerous part-time radio jobs while in school and you become a producer for your St. Louis Cardinals and their baseball radio broadcast. How did you get that opportunity and how awesome was that for you to be working for the team you grew up rooting for?
0: It was a dream come true. Uh, I, I never wanted to be behind the scenes for the, my entire career. I really wanted to be a broadcaster and I just knew that I had to pay my dues and do things that you know I wasn't naturally inclined to do. I, I, I am not good working with my hands. And back in the old days, when I still work at Kamewex Radio, you had to, there was this big grid and you had to like plug plugs into a hole and then another hole. And like, it's not what it is today. And i work with engineers, engineer at the ballpark, engineer back in the studio to make sure we had the audio feed up. That was the most stressful part of my day. I mean, I'm a 19 year old kid. The whole reason I got the job um, was because Bob Costas took a liking to me, who I work with now. Um, Bob would live he lived in St. Louis at the time and he would come in and do an evening special and he wanted me to produce the evening special, even though he had his own personal producer, Bruce Cornblatt, who I still work with to this day. He's now at MLB network as well. Uh, but he, he would give me the guest list, right? So he, Bob Costas walks in, there's a 19 year old kid named Greg Amsinger with chops down to my lip, right? Like I got crazy hair, total college dork. And he walks in and he gives me, a, here's his list of guests. So I'm calling Arsenio Hall, I'm calling President Jimmy Carter, and I'm calling Joe Torrey. So those are my three guests I'm going to call for Bob Costas' evening special. Can you imagine, right? So I'm 19 years old. I'm just basically plugging in all the carts to play for the commercial breaks. I'm banging on the glass. Bob won't go to break. He just won't go to break. So the reason he wanted me to produce all these shows was because he would steamroll through all the commercial breaks and I would be backloaded with like 28 minutes of commercials straight at the end of an hour. So because I didn't complain and because I took the heat from all the the bosses at KMOX Radio, I think he put in a good word for me to be the Cardinal Radio Network producer, which went to all the little affiliates all over the Midwest. So it helped me out in a great way to just wear it sometimes. Sometimes you just got to wear it. And that's what I did, and it helped me at Cam wex really get a chance to learn from some great broadcasters.
2: Yeah, I'd say uh, that's quite a trio of names. I don't think you're ever going to hear uh, three big names like that looped together like that. That's pretty insane. Uh, but you grew up in St. Louis. Uh, obviously, the St. Louis is a huge Cardinals town, obviously a huge Blues town. The Blues ended up winning the Stanley Cup. Uh, but when you were younger, obviously you come from a big family. What other sports did you like? Uh, What else was really, really popular in your family? I know you played. You're quite an athlete yourself. So go on, share some stuff about that. Oh, well, you
0: know, my freshman year, I had a really rough um, football injury and a serious, serious knee injury. And it messed me up really for basketball. Basketball was my number one sport. Uh, Baseball, six foot five lefty pitcher, uh, but I actually didn't throw hard. I just had more command. Um, I couldn't really hit for power. If you threw up on my foot at a huge uppercut swing, I hit a bomb. But if you threw it center cut over the, over the middle of the plate, I was all jammed. I was a complete utter mess. Uh, but basketball lefty, loved playing basketball as my number one sport. So therefore, I grew up a big college basketball fan, loved the St. Louis at the University of Missouri Tigers. Um, you know, I just I loved all the local sports. And matter of fact, when I was in college, I was the play by play voice of an indoor professional football team, believe it or not. And it's funny because they they signed a bunch of the local college players that didn't make it in the NFL. And I, I knew everything about these dudes. I was such a local Homer that I knew like Cor- Corby Jones. Oh my gosh, Corby Jones our quarterback. I remember number seven playing for the Missouri Tigers against Nebraska in the kickball game. So all of these guys, these local guys, I was into it. Uh, I did some independent basketball league stuff where they same kind of thing. Um, it was fun. You know, I, at the end of the day, what I learned as a young broadcaster was don't ever say no. So I'll figure it out. Like, of course I can cover that. I'll figure it out. I did play by play for college paintball, uh, men's and women's water polo. I was the host of the NCAA Division Three women's lacrosse selection show. Think about that for a second. Uh, I had a CBS executive call to me and say, hey, um, are you interested in hosting the Tour de France? you know anything about cycling, I'm like, give me a week. I'll know everything about cycling. I'm, I'm in, send me. So I was in France. I was in Europe. It was in Italy for a little bit of that, but I covered every stage of the Tour de France for CBS. You figure it out. You're a passionate sports fan. It kind of bleeds into all the other sports. Clearly, a, one of the reasons I love my job at, at MLB Network is because I'm on for three hours. So whatever your weakness is, it will be exposed. You cannot get away with faking it on MLB tonight. It's a three hour show. Uh, My weakness is pop culture. I don't watch TV. So I really don't watch movies, um, shows, anything that has actors. I can't watch it. I know it's fake. It's it's the weirdest thing ever. I I acted in college. I just can't get, I can't sit and watch it. So uh, a long answer to your twist to it. The sport I disliked the most growing up was golf. I thought it was so boring. No one of my family ever played golf. I came from a boring family that that was kind of poor and we couldn't afford it. And now it's my obsession. I'm obsessed with golf. That's all I want to play.
1: Yeah, you, you mentioned actors. We got a fan submitted question from your colleague, Adnan Verk, a good friend of the show. And he wants to know, which actor do you think looks like you? He he thinks Matt Dillon, but some say Vince Vaughn, which is a terrible insult. He says you're much better looking than Vince. <laughs> <laughs> this is dirty, because
0: Adnan and I just had this conversation in person the other day. And Adnan has the polar opposite brain of me. He knows everything, almost about everything. And he's interested in the world, especially Hollywood. It is crazy to hear him talk about Movie directors and screenwriters, and he knows who produced movies. It's unbelievable, but yeah, I get. I used to get, oh man, you look like Vince Vaughn. My wife still thinks I look like Vince Vaughn every time she brings that up. I think we're in an argument. Like, what in the world? No offense, Vince Vaughn, love you, man. But I mean, Matt Dillon looks a little better right now. The difference is, is Vince Vaughn is still pretty tall. Matt Dillon's somewhat short. I'm a huge six foot five, gangly guy, so I see that the height connection. But uh, it's a very good question by Ed, man. He set me up for this one. I, If you take the height of Vince Vaughn, take the head of Matt Dillon, Matt Dillon from Wild Things, that's the Matt Dillon I want. <laughs> Matt Dillon from Wild Things, then that's that's what I want to look like.
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, Matt Dillon is pro- probably the better. But, you know, it, it depends on who you, who you want to cast in your life story. You mentioned that you are tall, though. It is true. And you you make a lot of these professional former athletes look really short, other than maybe like Mike Rupp in the building, so uh, <laughs> well, any any, any uh, hesitations by any of these analysts to to be standing doing a stand-up shot next to you at all?
0: Yeah, it's you know, it. I think it's actually helped me in, in a way. Uh, my size literally factually helped me get the job. I'm going to tell you a funny story. You guys know who Brent Stover is? He's a studio yes. host for CBS Sports Network. Does a great job. Well, back in 2009, we auditioned uh, for the same spot here at MLB Network. I got the job I didn't know. We auditioned for it. And my boss, who made the decision, Tony Petiti, who is no longer with Major League Baseball, but he was the czar to put it all together. He was very, he took truth serum every single day, I feel like. So he said brutally honest things to you. And I asked him what, I was like, hey, man, this is after we were all smooth and rolling two years in. Like, why did you hire me? And he goes, why did I hire you? I had a lot of of talking heads to pick from. Yours filled up the screen. I go, you mean like my personality? He goes, no, 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 your skull was large. And that's a good thing for an anchor. I'm like, wait a minute. So you picked me to be a host of MLB Network because I have a large skull. He's like, yes. I go, who finished second? He goes, Brett Stover had a nice shaped head, but it was just a little small, kind of a pea head. That was the reason I picked you over him. So I'm... I'm interviewed by Brent Stover two years after this conversation and he's on CBS sports radio. He brings me on and talks some baseball. I go, Brent, we have a connection. You're not going to believe this. And I thought he'd laugh at it, but I don't think he thought it was very funny that his P head held him back from getting a job at MLB network and nothing to do with, with his talent. It was literally, it came down to the size of our skulls. So I think size has helped me because I do look like I'm an athlete. Even though I'm just a host and a talking head, people ask me all the time, "Which team did you play for?" I'm like, "I didn't play major league baseball." I'm sorry, I did Like, oh, that's weird. Why they get confused? Because Harold is tiny. He put him up on a high chair, sitting next to me, and they drop my chair all the way to the ground. <laughs> We're buds. People, they know he's a baseball player. They just assume I am, but I didn't play anything. I'm just, I'm just the talking head
1: takes the saying, way to use your head to a whole new level there. Uh, Right. Good good genes there, which worked out. So you mentioned, uh, of course, you were doing some play-by-play for the River City Renegades. Then you're a sports director in Terre Haute, Indiana. From there, you, you transition and you get, I guess, your first big break and you're doing CBS College Sports. How did that opportunity come about and, you know, how did you enjoy your, your experience there?
0: Well, I was at the end of a contract in Terre Haute, Indiana. They wanted to keep me uh, grooming to be a news anchor, which was promising, but it was in market 146. So I didn't want to stay there and do that. You have to understand, I was married with a little baby at the time. So I'm trying to make it. I'm trying to get my kids some some bread. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I don't want to stay in Terre Haute forever. So I... I verbally agreed to go to Louisville, Kentucky and be a weekend sports anchor. So I'm climbing up the market ladder. I'm going to go to market 50. I'm feeling good about myself. And then all of a sudden I get this email out of nowhere. Hey, man, uh, we want you to come audition for soft launch of College Sports Television. There's no shot of getting this. I'm 23 years old time. I already heard of this startup network and they had all these legit <laughs> broadcasters from all these like RSNs that were like MSG that big time that were trying out by far the youngest dude that was going there so i i had to like lie to my news director because there was no way they're gonna let me off knowing they wanted to keep me so i had to make up some elaborate lie just to leave twice so i could get on a plane fly there uh, did a weekend of shows and I'm sitting on the plane and, you know, we all have these moments where you like, "Yeah, shot, right? This is my shot. I'm looking through all this, like women's volleyball information, division, NAIA football information. This is all the stuff they're going to cover in the show. And I'm going, you know what? If I try to be good, I'm going to suck. Don't do that. How can I make this easier? What, what? How can I get this job? What are the producers going to look for? You know what they're going to look for? And I just committed myself to this. They're looking for flexibility. They're looking for someone who, as they're, as they're trying to roll with the punches of being a brand new startup network, that can handle when things go wrong, or when they don't have enough information, or when the teleprompter goes out. It's not going to be a well-oiled machine. So I decided to go there, and I met with the producers. I sat down, and they go, okay, we're going to give you about an hour and a half to write the show, and then we're going to go out. We're going to start doing the show. We're going sort of taping the show. I could do it. I'm good, man. I'm good. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're not going to write anything? I'm like, no, no. I'm... It was my only chance. If I wrote scripts, I can't write scripts with Adam Zucker. I can't write scripts with all these guys who went to great schools and are clever and they can do all this stuff. I, I had to wing it, man. I had to, I'd use my, my radio chops. I had to, you know, just inject personality and be comfortable. And that's what I did. And, and it got me the gig. At the end of the day, caring about what the producers would want. Because if you're scripted, they can't just bail on a story and go to the next thing. They need to worry about where that prompter is. And it holds them back. It holds the control room back. So I really think that helped me, not just at CSTV, but, I mean, it couldn't be any better suited for MLB Network and what I do now.
2: Yeah, I think it's really good uh, when people like you come in and kind of go off the cuff a little bit and come from a, a little bit of a different background. Kind of adds variety more so to the shows. Uh, so I worked freelance a couple of years ago at CBS. I got to know Adam Zucker. He's a really fun dude. Just amazing, amazing talent. Super nice guy. Uh, super great family guy. Uh, but you're a big time college sports guy. Obviously, you must have loved your time at CBS. Uh, you got to work with a bunch of tremendous talent, including the great Gary Danielson, who must have been absolutely exceptional. Uh, but you, in your time there, uh, I would say you were also responsible uh, for the elevating of quite a few other talents. Uh, namely Nichelle Beadle and and Catherine Tappen and and at the time there, all of a sudden all these 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 great talents are, are there. Did you realize at the time what you guys had there, and did you realize that uh, eventually those women in particular would go off to other tremendous and, and much bigger and well, better things? It's a
0: great question, Joe. I want to say this. Uh, I, I've been on TV for for 20 years now, and the two most talented people I've ever been on live television with are Harold Reynolds and Michelle Beadle. It's a tie, okay? Anything you throw at Michelle Beadle, she takes it, she can spin it and throw it right back in your face in less than two seconds. She is so immensely talented. It was so much fun to work with her. Her and my wife became really good friends, went on ski trips and stuff like that together. Uh, but it was a really like a great brother-sister relationship. Catherine Tappan emerged. There are people that figure it out. It's kind of like, uh, you know, a a pitching prospect. Sometimes everyone knows they've got the velocity, they've got the mechanics, everything should be right. Uh, Don't don't let go of this talent yet because eventually they're going to win the Cy Young. We saw all the talent in Catherine Tappan. She wasn't executing it yet at CSTV. She went to Providence, Rhode Island, and went to local television. And I saw a clip of her, we, I mean, we were all bummed that she left, but she went to local TV from national, went local. And I was like, whoa, she became a star. And then boom, every other spot she went to, she is a marquee talent and she's killing it on NBC. Um, it's funny, I, 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 at the time I knew we were doing something special. Um, doing something different. I, I, I really had no idea that the work ethic would be instilled in all of those different people, to, that we would all thrive in such a tough industry, man. Like the Adam Zucker gig he's got is hard. The gig I have is hard. The other the Catherine Chapman, those are hard gigs to get. And when all four of those people come from one show that no one watched, no one watched it. Um, it to me, it, it's, it's a testament to the people behind the scenes, how, how, how much they challenged us, made us better, gave us the freedom to, to make mistakes, and the writing's on the wall, man. I mean, it's, it is pretty remarkable. Adam Zucker is still a great friend of mine. Um, next time you see him, ask him about his calves. His calves, <laughs> no joke, are the most deformed things I've ever seen. It looks like, you know the, you ever seen the movie Alien? When the alien comes out of the guy's chest, it looks like his lower leg is giving birth to an alien. It's the most ridiculous muscle of a lower leg you'll ever see in your life. So ask him about it, his calves the next time you see him.
1: <laughs> so, so obviously a bunch of talented people there that you worked with. Everybody super talented in, in the building at MLB Network. Who are some potential athletes either past or or present that you think would make a good analyst down the road and somebody you'd, you'd potentially like to work with
0: wow that's a great question you know I thought a lot about it recently you know to be honest with you because as we look at COVID and how it's changed everything and you know who can do what obviously we're located in the northeast and flying people back and forth maybe when the vaccine comes we don't want to think of it this way but there have been names of been thinking about me, but I would love to do a show with CC Sabathia. I think CC Sabathia is such a gigantic personality, so good. Another guy that loves to talk hitting, and he is to to Latin American players, what Pedro was to Latin American pitchers, um, Robinson Cano, who's a dear friend of mine. The most recent PED suspension is a heartbreaker to him and me. Um, so I don't know if that would be an opportunity still, but just to watch him break down hitting, sitting around with him. He does it on his phone. Robbie Cano is so engaging, great smile, so good. You know, there are current players that I watch and I interview with and I've actually pulled aside and said, listen, man, I hope you have a very lengthy career in this game. When you're done, you got to sit next to me on MLB Network. And the two that come to mind, I love Eric Hosmer. Eric Hosmer is just the ultimate guy, good dude, leader, grinder, wants to play every day, super talent, looks like a movie star, looks like a superhero, actually. I think he is just off the charts great. Um, a former player that we've been trying to get, and I would love to get him on our network. Obviously, he's got a great life and his kids are playing sports, but Tori Hunter would be, I mean, Tori Hunter would be money on television. He's already proven to be money on TV. So I'm hoping to get him. But the very young player that I think is destined for it, and this might throw you guys off, Archie Bradley is one of the most dynamic, warm, intelligent players. He's a pitcher, reliever, uh, just got let go by the Reds, but he'll be pitching for a while. He is such a sweetheart of a guy. And I told him, I was like, look, man, have a great career, but when you want to call it a day, I'll make room for it. We're going to figure it out. Well, you should be on MLB Network with me because he just loves the game way too much to not do it.
1: I got three for you. One, what used to work in the building, comedian Scott Rogowski. I think uh, you guys are going to have some good laughs. Him and Bill Ripken, they get along great. So that'd be hilarious television. <laughs> I think it's not long before we see Todd Frazier jump on the I-95 and he'll be in the building to do some talking. And I think the guy that is... Destined for Albany Network, not a player, but a former agent slash general manager, and that's Brody Van Wagenen. I think he's, he's going to be made for television because, I mean, he, when you guys are talking to him his first off season at the winter meetings, I mean, he was just, he was, he was carrying the yeah. shows because he was making all the headlines.
0: He was hilarious. He uh, really wanted to have the best hair on the show. And that was a rough show to to take that honor. I mean, he was on with me, D-Row, Mike Lowell, and I'm trying to remember who else he was on with. I forget it, but it was was a star-studded hair cast. And he's got great hair, I'll give it to him. Big personality, funny dude, good friends with Al Leiter. So anything that happened, He's got a unique perspective you know, because he was agent knows all these guys in that personal level also knows that side of the negotiation, which we've never had that on our network, which would be really cool to have. And also the other side, now he's former baseball executive and all the red tape that he had to get through playing for an owner like the Will Ponds, and, you know, just a difficult job. So yeah, I I think that would be, that would be loads of fun. Todd Frazier is a, is a no brainer. I mean, he's, that is 100% automatic. He wants to work at MLB Network. He came in years and years ago. I don't, Do you remember we did a show, an MLB.com award show called The Gibbies, the Greatest Greatness in Baseball Yearly Awards? I don't know. He got an award for a rookie achievement that he had. I don't know what it was, but he's in the studio. And he's looking around like a kid in a candy store. And this is before he was the Todd father and all this stuff. And he says to me and Harold, he goes, guys, you have, you have no idea. This is my dream job here. Not to play in the big leagues, but to work at MLB Network. And I go, whoa, Todd, slow your roll. You got a lengthy career in front of you, brother. Enjoy that. And this place isn't going anywhere. So it was cool to hear a young player like that go, whoa, you guys have a good spot. This is the home of baseball. I love the sport. This is what I want to do.
2: Todd Frazier, the product of Tom's River, New Jersey. Uh, so outside of you, uh, my favorite hairdo at MLB is probably Harold Reynolds. I think he's awesome. Uh But uh, So I wanted to bring up the pandemic because obviously it hit everybody very, very hard. Uh, It's still hitting us today. A lot of things that we took for granted, we're not taking for granted anymore. A lot of the things specifically in the building have changed. And I saw that firsthand. A lot of the protocols have changed. The way you guys produce shows also changed as well. And I think Major League Baseball did an outstanding job with the abbreviated season. Obviously, they were only able to play 60 games. uh, But for the most part, I think what we were able to accomplish is is absolutely tremendous. And kudos to you and the rest of your staff. Uh, So for our listeners, just explain the differences between how you did shows for the past uh, three, four months during this year and how that differed uh, from years past.
0: Well, look, it's a great question. Every network. Thought outside the box on this. Uh, I'm sitting in, in front of equipment that was set up by MLB Network right now. Hand-picked spot in my home uh, that they like. So that this is all for me to be live on television on a whim um, so we could do shows. And if we are in another quarantine again, this is where you'll see me all the time on MLB Network. Uh, we weren't the only network doing things like this, but this was part of it. At, at the network, we used to bounce around from building to building. We have two buildings. A lot of people don't understand that we also run the NHL network. So you have the same production staff going from one building to the next building, almost like a campus. Well, that was an easy thing to do. Now it is not. You have to have security clearance. Um, they have to take your temperature, masks on at all time. When you cross buildings, you have to go through it all over again. Um, it, it was a challenging time. I think what it did is it taught us and all of sports the entire sports industry, that the way we thought things had to be don't necessarily mean they have to be that way anymore. There was never a day before 2020 that we thought that the majority of Americans would be okay with play-by-play broadcasters and analysts not being at the venue. No one would have ever thought that would be permissible. Now we we don't even notice it. We don't even notice it. There are some snapoos that come here and there. We don't even notice it. And one moment that we were able to have, which I thought was the, the, the highlight of the year for me at MLB Network, you know, we were obviously doing things everyone else was doing. So we would put a play-by-play guy and an analyst in our small studio, Studio K with headsets on, and they would call the game. But it made no sense to me that we were doing that when we had the best sports studio in the world, Studio 42, and the multiple Emmy award-winning studio show, MLB Tonight, in-house. The production staff we have is award-winning. So we mixed it and we did a couple games where it was me, Harold Reynolds, and Dan Plisak sitting on lounge chairs in front of home plate. And we called a regular season baseball game while doing live look-ins of all the other games on a whim, doing demos in game, doing interviews in game. And we made it a TV show. It went really well. Second time it went really well. And the other part of it that I think people need to remember is we never had that polarizing moment where, you know, there's a collision to home plate and a Buster Posey blows out a knee, or there's an infield fly roll, Pete Cosma, shallow left field, the game's decided over a controversial call, or, you know, Jonathan Lucroy gets hit. And then the next day, Jake Morisnik gets drilled up towards the head and both benches clear. And we don't have that key moment where we could demonstrate and use studio 42 to punch the moment unlike any broadcast live has ever done so long story short i think it's been a trying year but we figured out new ways to cover this sport specifically and going forward don't be surprised if you see our studio team giving you the showcase games in a way that you're just you've never seen before we don't need to limit ourselves to a little studio
3: Army ROTC, now accepting college scholarship applications. Visit goarmy.com slash moneyforcollege
0: to enhance a remote game so there can be some good believe it or not that comes from so many trying times during 2020.
1: Yeah you know speaking of innovation you and Harold did a quick pitch that was a that was a great show I like the way you came that came together but MLB Network really was prepared for this ahead of their times because you guys have the ballpark cam which is one of the best innovations in in all sports so Hey, really wasn't much of a difference for you guys. You're still getting those post-game interviews. You're still able to, to be there in the ballpark and take a look. How, how exciting is it, you know, knowing that when, you, when there's a big game or something huge happens, you know, let's say Pete Alonso hits three home runs or something like that, someone mm-hmm. does a perfect game, that you know that within minutes of that game ending, you're probably going to be interviewing that person. And how do you get prepared for that? And that goes back to your saying before, you just got to be adjusting on the fly.
0: Well, the executives at our network have installed deep, deep relationships with all 30 clubs and, and you have to have the, the, the players on board. And what I should have said to begin 2020, everything worked out for MLB network. I feel like everybody lost money. I get it. No doubt. But the fact that we had a season that we had a postseason, you know, we can all pat ourselves on the back for all, all the stuff we did. None of it happens if the players don't risk their health. The players had to go play. And there were a lot of players that chose not to go play. And you can't blame those players for that. The players had to go do it. And they did it. And they played incredibly competitive baseball games. We had moments this year that I'll never forget. The Randy Arena, mad dash around third base in the World Series. That is an epic World Series moment. You don't need to remind anyone that the ballpark was half filled that night. Because it was an epic baseball moment. And that only happened because the players said, you know what, we'll do this for pro rated, losing a lot of money. So you have to tip your cap to the players. The players gave us memories that otherwise would have had. Um, but I will say that because we'd instilled all the technology that we did to, out, of the, out of the gate in 2009, ballpark hand being the number one priority, uh, when we covered the World Series this year, we did not have tier one access which means our crew was up a couple levels. We couldn't get on the field. We didn't have to quarantine, but we weren't allowed to be around the players. That's okay. We're used to covering them that way. We're used to, you know, go on our camera. We'll do the interview afterwards. They don't need to be up on our set. And going forward, you may see, like I, going back to what I just said, broadcast crews flying with players, those days are over, man. The players are going to be bubbled, more than we've ever seen, even post-pandemic. Just keep these guys healthy. We don't need sniffling babies on planes getting these guys sick. Like, let's let's keep these people 100% healthy. And I will end with this. Another positive that came from the World Series being in a neutral site was an idea that a destination World Series should be considered. I really believe baseball is missing out on events, on owning 10 days that they otherwise have never owned. Yes, they want to cater to the two fan bases and those markets because if it's a Yankee Stadium, you want to see the Bronx and all those people going crazy. But they're doing that in 45-degree weather. We don't need baseball played one way all year, and then you get to the most important games and you see someone's breath on the mound. It's ridiculous. I like the idea. Going in, I didn't. But a neutral site destination World Series, I think, could be a
3: huge money
0: maker for Major League Baseball, and it gives people so many different Super Bowls to go buy tickets to. The immediate comp goes to the Super Bowl. Oh, have you ever been to a Super Bowl game? You see a bunch of people there that are loaded with money; they care less who wins the game. Do you have potential seven games? I don't think that would be the case. The fan bases travel well between the two clubs, the Rays and the Dodgers. And I think it's something we should consider Destination World Series.
2: That is something that comes up every now and then. Yeah, you're you're, really the first person who's really advocated for that. You don't really hear that opinion very often. I think it's very, very shocking uh, for me personally. I don't disagree with you. Uh, I think they tried it. Um, they tried the home field advantage thing with the All-Star game. And obviously it never panned out, right? And ultimately that idea proved to to not really be uh, something that that really picked up over time, uh, but I do think a neutral site World Series is not the the worst idea in the world, and and considering the potential financial benefits of it, uh, very interesting. You know, first person who's ever come on the show, uh, probably one of the first prominent personalities who works there, who's been an advocate for that idea. So, uh, you know, kudos to you for putting it oh, out. Thanks, there.
0: Joe. I have a lot of crazy ideas. I like the extra inning rule having a player at okay. second okay. base. I like that. I I can do one better. I think starting in the 10th inning of every game, let's utilize the most exciting play in baseball more. And that is an inside the park home run. So starting in the 10th inning, you get two outfielders. You only get two. Don't put a player at second base. Put two outfielders out there. And then you'll have Yadier
1: Molina
0: hitting one down the right field line First home as a walk off inside the park homer sign me up sign me up i got a ton of them man huh, right, i, I, got, I yeah, might have like 30 ideas that i think we i,
1: I hear brian Kenny screaming right now I, 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 I don't know if he's gonna like that one too much bk you, you spoke about neutral site uh, world series that could also give an opportunity to explore some expansion because you could put the world series you know anywhere you could put it if you wanted to put it in uh in Omaha, where they do the College World Series. You want to try doing something in Nashville. You want to go in Las Vegas if there, if there's stadiums there. Because it, it, I just want to get your thoughts now on potential expansion. We saw Dombrowski just get hired by the Phillies, but he was trying to get baseball in Nashville. So do you see in the next 10 years or so any expansion happening?
0: Yes, I do. Uh, I think Nashville, all signs point that Nashville would be a destination, but Dave Dombrowski left for a reason. To me, that's a sign of What's the likelihood? There are two things that need to happen. Well, relocation, obviously, is the first hurdle in all of it. Where are the Oakland A's going to play? Where are the Tampa Bay Rays going to play? Um, if they stay in those locations, then you go to expansion. I, I don't think in 10 years it's possible that the city of Montreal doesn't have a team. You have to put a baseball team on that side of Canada. You just have to. It's a gigantic media market. Unfortunately, it was branded by a terrible ballpark in a bad location of the city. So if you've ever been to Montreal, you realize it might be the most diverse, beautiful culture. You think you're in Europe. It's an amazing location to expand baseball. To have just one team in Canada is not good business. Rob Manfred's obsessed with putting another team in Canada, and I think Montreal is a lock. The other option here, which you got to consider it because the commissioner is into it, no one has tapped into Mexico City. Not one of the major American sports have done it. And it's a sport that's wildly popular, and you've got so many people there and that city is so gigantic. You got to consider the financial impact of it all. Now, what do we see when you have, you know, currency issues, you have to pay $80 million to get Russell Martin on the back end of his career if you're the Toronto blue Jays. You have to overpay for guys, right? Mexico city would have to overpay significantly to get any free agent to go there. That is a, that is a reality, the situation, but, there's no doubt the commissioner wants to make baseball more global. he will see more exhibition games in London and things like that. He wants to branch out, make more money from different audiences. And I, I don't think Nashville is as, is as much of a slam dunk as people think it is. Great city, trending in the right direction, no doubt. But man,
2: oh man, I, I,
0: knowing the commissioner the way I know him, if he had it his
2: way, it'd be Montreal and Mexico City. Yeah, I think those two cities present a, a tremendous opportunity to grow the to grow the game, and and I think the NFL uh, more so has really understood the potential that Mexico City can bring. They've had their games in in Mexico City previously, and and obviously they would need a new facility to be built uh, in order to to, to really uh, hammer home and and really solidify what they're going to try to do. But uh, again, also great points as well. Uh, I wanted to go back just for a second to the people that you work with because the people in that building are absolutely tremendous. And this doesn't even, we didn't even get to touch on the people who are operating all the equipment, uh, the people who work behind the scenes, uh, your producers, your, your stats and your research guys. Uh, is there anybody in particular that comes to the top of your head who's been absolutely instrumental in your success over the course of your 11 years at the network?
0: Yeah. There's so many, it's hard to name just a couple, uh, but I'll start with, you know, a guy that that really engaged the way I host a show. His name is Rich Cinchimino. He's one of our coordinating producers. Um, I, first time I ever did a show with him, we had these huge production meetings, as you guys know. And we sit down, and he's the first producer to not hand out a rundown of the show. What are we going to meet about? There's no rundown of the show. The producer usually says what he wants in the show. And then here you go to the former athletes and to the post but he wanted to gauge what we wanted to talk about and then he'll make the show as we go it's difficult to do it that way because of the coordination that needs to happen in graphics and in the edits and all the different groups that have to come together it's a pain in their ass for you to do it that way but he didn't care because the end product was so good he has thrived and is no longer the producer of that show but now a coordinating producer boss of one of the daytime shows and then the guy to replace him chris Rollenbeck, back has been huge we found you know, Chris Rolbeck involved. Now he's the coordinating producer. He's the boss of our late night show. And Chris Collins, is our new producer. He's unbelievably creative. Um, he sends me text messages, crazy shenanigans he wants to do on TV, which I absolutely love. Our director, Mark Deaver, is obsessed with baseball. Um, you know, he named his kids Garrig and Aaron. That's all you need to know. Those are his kids' first names. <laughs> And he's just the perfect director to have in your ear because you don't need to explain anything to him. He knows the game better than anybody on the air. I have a researcher who's Rain Man. He is just a savant in baseball information. And the thing that he does better than anybody, his name is Matt Baker, is he's efficiently describing the nugget of information in my ear. His ear traffic is so high-end. To talk to a broadcaster who's talking – and for them to understand what you're saying while they're talking and regurgitate it, he does that better than anybody. So, you know, we've had so many talented people. I'm leaving out so many, and I feel bad for it. But, you know, they 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 did not cut corners when it came to the production staff and how they paid them, because, you know, we've gone through tough times right now, and we we're going to lose some people that have been with our network since 2009. But for the most part, our network has. employees from 2009, 2010, 2011. People come here and they don't want to leave. That's how special the place is.
1: Yes, absolutely. The longevity of a lot of employees is incredible. And I worked behind the scenes uh, when I was there. So I know a lot of the great people you're you're mentioning. So, you know, one question we ask everybody who comes out from Albee Network, and you have to answer this is, what was it like the first time you met the Mad Dog? And what happened? And then also, you think we could suggest this to the powers that be to get him on an MLB tonight with you and Howard Reynolds? Because I think that would be absolutely hysterical to have him looking at live-looking games, especially the San Francisco Giants when they're coming up on the screen.
0: Believe it or not, Nick, we've already done this experiment. And we did it once. Uh, it was me, Mad Dog, Harold Reynolds, and Ryan Dempster. And we made Mad Dog go into Studio 42 and take ground balls (laughs) Uh, because he talked so much. We wanted to see what what kind of athlete he was. I got to tell you, blown away. Last thing I want to do is give a ton of compliments to Chris Russo. Are you kidding me? He barehanded balls, threw off the wrong foot, like in stride, money on, right to first base. He was awesome. Really, really talented. I was blown away by his athleticism. You wouldn't believe it if I watched him on TV. Listen, I'm from St. Louis. So I don't get it. I mean, are you guys? You guys are both from the area, right? You try yeah. state here you
1: guys. Yeah, grew, we grew up it's listening fun. to Mike and the Mad Dog. Yeah. Okay, exactly. Okay, so
0: you guys are obsessed. I met Matt Baker, the researcher I just pointed out, obsessed with him. Like, grew up listening to. him. I don't get it, and I'm not alone. Like, people from the Midwest are like, "Who is this guy yelling at?" <laughs> Why is he on your, your network? I'm like, you, know, you have to understand he's a gigantic star in the tri-state area. And they're like, MLB networks coast to coast like, I get it. But the bosses are from the tri-state area. So they're like obsessed with him too. You know, that's how it works. So he's done a great job on the network. I, I, I have get along with him famously. I've got a style. A lot of people don't like, I'm not saying I dislike his style. i just, I sit there blown away by it, like just blown away about how quickly he can trash a player. It's just, to me is, I, I don't know what it is. Like, does he ever, he has to feel that that could come back to bite him. You know, that's what I'm so amazed by. He doesn't feel that he doesn't feel like Jason worth hates my guts. Right. And we don't get along, but I know when I say something about him, I can feel that he's watching me. Mad Dog doesn't have that sense. He doesn't feel that these athletes that he is trashing watch him. So God love him. Good for that. That's a great talent to have. Um, But what a run. What a career he's had. It's, It's been remarkable.
1: Yeah, next next time you're really listening to Mad Dog, you gotta pay attention to this. He always when he's talking about a person, he always gives two compliments and then he throws in like one negative thing. So he'd be like Jeff Bagba, great power hitter, tremendous leader. Weird batting stance, though. But that he always he always does that in every single person he talks about.
0: I love all of you young guys that are obsessed with the way he does his job. That means he did his job the right way. He's consistent, and young people want consistency because, just like what you just pointed out, that is something you look forward to. Hey, 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 hey Joe, listen to this—he's about to slam Jeff Bagwell. Oh, he just did it! He, his delivery is like a song, and you guys are all abiding by it. You love it, and he's got a cult
2: following because of it. Yeah, Different. I think more so than anything, guys like Nick and I—we want people who are genuine. That's yeah. number one. And, and I think that's probably the biggest point out here. And, and when we watch you and a bunch of other guys there, you're all genuine. You're all who you are. You don't put on a, a, a mask for anybody. Uh, you all do the best job of being yourselves. Uh, and that's, and that's really tremendous. So and it's a testament to you and the rest of the people that work there. Uh, I always ask this for most of the guests that we have, Nick and I, uh, what was the best piece of advice that you've ever gotten that you use in your day-to-day life today? That's
0: a great question. The best advice I've ever been given, I tell any uh, group of college students that ask me this question, his name is McGraw Milhaven, top-notch broadcaster. He still works in the St. Louis area. I told him and his co-host, I was producing their show, that I wasn't staying at Wax and that I I got my first TV gig in Terre Haute and this would be my last day working with him. And he shook my hand and he goes, wow, you did it, man. Welcome to the club. You're, you, got inside the, you got inside the door. Now, do me one favor. And I go, okay, what's that? He goes, every day you wake up, believe that you're going to fail. You're, you're fired. Every day you wake up, you're fired. It just hasn't happened yet, but you're fired. So in an industry where everyone tries to coach you, where everyone tries to give you advice on how to do your job, Everyone, from Twitter followers to executives to co-hosts to producers, when everyone's trying to help you do it your way, just believe you're fired anyway. Believe your career's over anyway. It's over. So are you really going to have your last show doing it the way Joe wanted me to do it or the way Nick wanted me to do it? If I want to fail anyway, go down my way. It's my way or the highway. I had a producer... Brand new, year two, MLB Network. Now, the way I hosted the show was very different than everyone else. And you guys know this. I give my opinion. I didn't play Major League Baseball. I know that pisses a lot of people off. That's why I do it. You know, I don't, I don't want to do a show that people remember, not, not that everyone just gets along with. I don't want to be elevator music. Oh, that was so wonderful. I, my biggest pet peeve is when, a host, when an analyst asks a host, what do you think? And the, and, the, and the host goes, no one cares what I think. What? Dude, you get paid to talk into a microphone. Someone is giving you money not to build a shed in the backyard, not to fix the plumbing, not to drive me anywhere. They're paying you money to talk into this thing. And you're going to sit there on TV and go, no one cares what I think? Well, you just cost yourself some money. I don't look at it that way i i look at it this way i'm i'm failed anyway it's it's going to be over at some point anyway i'm going to do it the way i am entertained by and i had this producer walk in my office fresh from espn and he goes hey uh very nice to meet you my name's blah 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 i've got one piece of advice for you i just i would today's my first day i was in the control room one piece of advice for you um just tfd analyst no one no no one cares what you think just the analyst I go, oh, that's cool. I go, I know you're older than me, but I've got one piece of advice for you. Don't ever walk in my office again and give me advice I didn't ask for. Don't ever do that again. Matter of fact, if you think you're so powerful, do me this favor, walk up to the boss right now and go, all right, it's either me or him. It's, it's either me or Am Singer. I can't work with this guy. If you think you, are, you know so much more and you're so brilliant, you go do that right now. I was so mad. I was so mad. But this is the, this is the advice. You can't live your life disingenuously taking and heeding your own advice you gotta own it you gotta live it and when McGraw-Mill even said you failed anyway (laughs) your career is the way you want it to be man don't don't be a phony um best advice I've ever been given so I there there are other pieces of advice to go be poor if you want to be on television go be poor Go to a small put-up town, make eighteen grand a year. Your parents could be like, wait a minute, four years of college, you don't have health benefits. Yeah, 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 I know. It sucks. There's a lot of different uh, layers of advice out there, but, you know, the McGraw-Milhaven advice sticks with me to this day.
2: We're going to start wrapping up here in a bit, but I wanted to also bring up something else to you that I think was very, very important. And it's something that is kind of becoming a little more prevalent in baseball. Uh, so, when the Yankees were playing the Rays in game two, uh, obviously the Yankees were set to start Davy Garcia, pulled him early, brought Jay, happened the game. I came up to you and, Harold, when you guys were in the studio, uh, when you guys were outside getting ready to go back in, and you both were absolutely adamant that the Yankees totally blew this situation, mishandled everything. I remember this. My, remember. my point to you was that Tanaka – needed the extra day and it ended up mattering because they lost game three anyway. And the Yankees may not even bring back Tanaka. Uh, But I think it's a, it's a really big point because I think the, the art of managing is kind of slowly deteriorating. It's not totally gone yet, uh, but we've seen people who are not in that locker room or in that room with those guys start to, have their opinions trickle in a little bit more, could be the general manager, could be other front office people, could be people in the analytics department. We've seen a couple of World Series now over the past couple of years where overarching pitching decisions have almost cost teams wins. The Cubs did it in game seven. Joe Madden took out Kyle Hendricks early, then he brought in Chapman again. They almost blew the game. We saw last year in the World Series, uh, A.J. Hinch took out Zach Granke in the seventh inning. Bullpen came in, could not hold a lead. Nationals win a championship. We saw it multiple times in this postseason, and we saw it in game six with Blake Snell and Kevin Cash. It's the way the Rays do things. They had the game kind of well in hand, and then it got away from them, and so did the championship, right? So uh, so the the point that I brought up to you was for the Yankees, in that particular case, uh, Tanaka was not nearly as effective. And, again, he ended up losing that game anyway. But I wanted to get your opinion, and and this is – Probably also goes with a bunch of other guys that you work with and you do TV with. Uh, What is your opinion on the way that these managers and these baseball front office people uh, handle pitching staffs today?
0: It's annoying. Uh, I I don't describe myself as old school, but I come off sounding this way. Uh, I'm, I'm a big believer in going all in, in everything right? Moderation in some cases isn't good enough for me. I don't want a manager in the clubhouse, in the dugout, if he's not managing the team. So I want a front office to actually have the guts to get rid of the position. Get rid of it. You're playing a video game anyway. You don't need to ever have a conversation with these players. You don't need to talk to them to see how their families are. If they're just robots, then use them that way. If you're not going to use the human that's in the room with the humans playing the game, if that experience there is obsolete, then get rid of the role. Go all in. Be the first front office that doesn't want to talk to the players, that has no interest in it. They're all flawed anyway. They're humans. So, yeah, the Yankee game upset me because they're rolling. They look like the best team in baseball. At the time, they were. There was no playoff team hotter than the New York Yankees. But because no one's in the room that's making these decisions, no one's feeling the energy, the bravado, the confidence that these Yankee players have after beating the bag out of every single team they played. They start from scratch every single day, and they're starting from zero from every single day. So, the, the whole competition with inhumanity has been eliminated. So the team playing the New York Yankees just got their brains beat in. Don't feel like it now the next day because the Yankees are panicking and they're throwing a rookie. They're trying to go, oh, we don't like our chances today because the numbers from three weeks ago say this about Masahiro Tanaka. It's ridiculous. Kevin Cash is going to wear it. He'll wear it forever that this is the way he bought in, right? He bought in. This is what he does. B.S. Love Kevin Cash. American League Manager of the Year because he wears it more than any manager. That was a terrible baseball decision. And in some ways may have helped baseball in the long run for a couple of reasons. If the Rays win that game, we might not have a game seven for a week and a half because of Justin Turner's shenanigans running on the field with COVID. That's number one. Number two, we finally had that moment where I think America said we've had enough. This is ridiculous. I interviewed Mookie Betts right after the Dodgers win the World Series. And I go, Mookie, you're over, over 2 with two strikeouts in this game. You see Blake Snell coming out in the sixth inning. You're due up next. What are you thinking? He goes, I said, thank God. So I know front office guys know more about baseball than Mookie Betts. I know they know more about hitting Blake Snell than Corey Seager or Justin Turner. But the best players for the world championship team had no answer for their pitcher. You can sometimes overthink things so way you're an idiot. And we've seen it in Major League Baseball an awful lot. That was the dumbest thing I've ever seen a bunch of brilliant people do. And when when common sense is no longer part of the equation, we need to start rewriting the equation a little bit.
1: Yeah, we'll see if Blake Snell even returns to the Rays. My guess he wants out of there, and they, they're they going to financially try to move him anyway. But I think Pedro Martinez said it best a few years ago. Nowadays, these pitchers pitch five innings, and they consider it a great job. When I was pitching, if I only pitched six or seven innings, I was embarrassed. So you, you miss that old-school mentality of the pitchers want to go the full, the full game. And, you know, all the old-school managers, for the most part, they're gone no more like Terry Collins, Buckshell Walters on the sidelines right now. But we'll see how Tony La Russa adapts here, old school. Dusty Baker's old school, and he actually did a good job. He kept Granky in in the, in the postseason, and that paid off tremendously. So we'll see how yeah. the change of the guard continues here. Though.
0: Real quick, Nick, don't overlook Chris Young as the GM of the Texas Rangers. To get another former player in that role, I know he went to Princeton, all that stuff, worked the league office. So him and Jerry Depoto, Depoto has not had any success in Seattle, but Chris Young's going to work and, and baseball needs more former players deciding personnel decisions that will get us back to a brand of baseball that I think we all grew up enjoying, which was more action, less strikeouts, not as obsessed with on-base percentage. Awesome. Adam Dunn's on-base percentage is great. He's not scoring on, on a gapper, dude. He's not getting the third base, possibly. So we need to get back to a more athletic version of the sport, and I think having front office guys like Chris Young are going to help us get there.
1: Maybe we'll see Curtis Granderson running a team one day.
0: Makes sense to me, right?
1: Absolutely. I think having more players uh,
2: coming back and filling those potential vacancies down the line, uh, those are, that's going to do a lot of really great things for, for the future of the game. A lot of really great sound bites there. Uh, Want to get a few more from you because uh, we can see you, but our listeners can't see you. Uh, so you're wearing a Brooklyn Nets sweatshirt. Nick and I are huge diehard fans of the Knicks. That's our team. The Nets are your adopted basketball team. Uh, you're a huge basketball guy coming from the Midwest. That's the team that you came for here. So that's more than fine. You got Kevin Durant to look forward to you got Kyrie Irving to look forward to. Before we started here, you told us a really, really uh, tremendous story, uh, personal connection uh, with Kyrie Irving and why your your adopted team is the Nets. So please share that with our listeners, because I think that was a really, really great story. Yeah. So uh,
0: Kyrie Irving uh, attended my daughter's high school for two years, Montclair Kimberly Academy and won a state championship his sophomore year. Then he transferred to go and play against a higher level of high school basketball. It worked out, went to Duke, really didn't play, but then became a number one pick to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, But when you go into the MKA arena, um, it looks like a little miniature arena. uh, You see all the thousand point scores, was like a banner. And there are a few girls, a few more boys, Kyrie Irving, there's the next person to get a thousand points, their name will go underneath Kyrie Irving's name. My 17-year-old daughter, who I'm so proud of, her name is Vanessa. She committed to go play Division three basketball for Colorado College recently. Um, she's only a few points away from getting to a thousand points, and her name will be below Kyrie Irving's at MKA. So God willing that um, COVID doesn't debunk the whole high school basketball season. Cause that would be really sad. But as it stands right now, if there is a season, it looks like there will be, she's going to be in line to do that, which is really cool. And another reason why we love going and cheering on Kyrie Irving.
2: That's a tremendous accomplishment. I'm sure she's very proud of you. Uh, I'm sure you're very proud of her. And we are so appreciative that you took the time out to come do with us today. Greg, uh, you're a tremendous person. Hopefully baseball, starts on time. Hopefully everything uh, continues trending in a positive direction. And then I think it will be over the course of the next couple of months. So can't wait to see you again. Once we get back rocking and rolling, we always give our guests here the last words. You're more than welcome to share anything else that comes to your mind. If you want to promote anything, please go right ahead. We really, really appreciate you coming on, uh, continuing the, the MLB network trend here on the show. We would love to have you again. You are so awesome. You are so genuine. Uh, You always speak what's on your mind. A lot of people appreciate you for being exactly who you are. So really, really would love to have you come on again. But last words are all yours. Thank you again for coming on. We really, really enjoyed this.
0: Well, I I will say this. I have nothing to promote. I'm a fairly simple man. Um, I will say uh, that watching two young guys who have busted their butts in this business already at a young age and do something like this, because you guys are obviously friends and you have fun. The passion that both of you have to do this just oozes off the zoom screen to me. And a work life balance is very important to have. If you want to be a happy 55 year old man, I'm not there yet, hopefully someday, but of the 55 year old men that I know, they (laughs) 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 they have a great work life balance. But that work-life balance, if it's 50-50, you should also enjoy both 50% equally. And people chase money too much, unfortunately, in this industry. Don't let that get in your way. You guys love this industry. Anyone that loves this industry and they wanna work in it, don't be discouraged by paychecks right away and look over at your buddies from college that are pharmaceutical salesmen and they're like rolling in it, driving in Mercedes Benz and stuff. Whoa, 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 whoa. they end up being jealous of you in the long run. They end up being jealous of people that wake up every day with their tail wagging to go to work. So stay on this path. You guys are talented dudes. You love this business. Keep doing this. It's going to pay off in a big way.
1: Thanks, Greg. Really appreciate it. And for all our listeners out there, you know Greg, he's basically the chairman of the board at MLB Network. And just like Frank Sinatra, he did it his way. So for our very special guest, Greg Amstinger, and for my co-host, Joe Calabrese, I'm Nick Durst, and this has been You Know I'm Right.